Know who's working overtime these days? Criminal profilers, especially in the United States. This arrest in the Long Island serial killer case has caused all sorts of examination about, you know, police investigative techniques, about motivation for murder, about everything having to do with this case, actually. And our next guest knows how this works all too well. She was a senior profiler for the FBI until her retirement. She helped capture and try to understand people like Gary Ridgway, known as the Green River Killer, even Ted Kaczynski. So Dr. Mary Ellen O'Toole is also the directing professor at the Forensic Science Program at George Mason University and joins us now. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you for having me. So have you been taking a look at this Long Island case then, and, and what, what strikes you about it? I have, and there are many, many aspects to the case that I think are, are very, very interesting. And one of them is that this is someone that was able to fly under the radar screen of law enforcement for so many years. And when I see that happening in a serial murder case, it's generally because when they're not out committing their murders, they are living what appears to be a pro-social life, which means they have a family, they have a job, they have a ch- they have children, their neighbors report them as being a nice guy. Um, and so all of those trappings of normalcy uh, enable them to live a life and appear to be just a law-abiding citizen and not a serial sexual killer. Right, but that doesn't necessarily seem to be the case here, though, does it, Dr. O'Toole? Because all, a lot of the neighbors are saying, no, we suspected something. Well, the neighbors could have suspected something, but the issue is they never suspected that he was a serial sexual killer because otherwise they would have come forward. So now in hindsight, and this happens a lot, people will say, oh, yeah, well, there was something I did notice one time. But, you know, frankly, these these individuals that commit these kinds of crimes, there's nothing really physically about them that's alerting. So I think at this point, now that they know what he's suspected of doing, now they kind of go back in their mind and say, okay, well, there was this time when. But to be able to jump to um, and, and you know, kind of forecast ahead of time that this is a serial sexual killer, that didn't happen. We've heard a lot about how important um, cell phone data is in these cases, right? Like it was clearly a significant factor here. It was a significant factor in that recent case of the four students who were killed at university just south of the border here from us. So is it, has, have investigative techniques changed and evolved? Is that cell phone data making it somehow easier to track these cases? It really is. And it's amazing advance. It's an amazing advance in technology. It's very complicated and it's it's very involved, but the ability to do what you've seen in the Idaho case and now here in New York um, is, is really changing investigation. So now they can um, triangulate where somebody is when they use their cell phones and even a burner phone, which is very difficult to track historically. And they're able then to place somebody in different locations, locations where the person may look you in the eye and say, well, I've never been there. Well, their cell phones or even their burner phones tell another story. And that's what they were able to do in this case. They triangulated to where he lived and then to where he worked, and they overlapped. So it took a long time to do that. It's very complicated, but it's amazing when you get results like they did. Right. We talk about burner phones. Most people think that those are safe and anonymous. That's why you buy them, right? Right, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Well, not so much. 
Okay, so is this something that police forces are getting better at? They are. They're getting better at it, but it's an area of expertise. It's just not something that you learn when you go through the police academy as a, um, you know, a, a regular police officer or a regular FBI agent. It's something that does require a certain level of expertise and a lot of training to be able to um, to be able to do this. Is there a concern, though, that there would be an adaptation to that, too? I mean, it was quite shocking to think that, you know, cell phone data is what gets people in because you can be tracked everywhere you use a cell phone. So you have to hope, I guess, that your perpetrator took their phone with them. Well, you do. And, and, you know, offenders are, um, you know, they adapt. there, There will be people right now that are, either involved in similar behavior or contemplating similar behavior. And they're watching the news reports. They're listening to this radio program. And they're saying, that would never happen to me because here are the precautions that I'm going to take with my cell phone to make sure that never happens. So the offenders will are very adaptable, and they will change uh, based on what they, how, they, how they learn and what they learn in the media. So the cases that you worked on, Dr. O'Toole, like so varied, right? Everything from Gary Ridgway to Ted Kaczynski to the Zodiac case. What was the similarity that you saw? What is the thread that runs through them? Well, the one thread that's really um, prominent is that with these individuals who are serial sexual killers, uh, the FBI estimates that about 95% of them have what we call a, a psychopathic personality. And as a matter of fact, the world's expert in psychopathy is right there in Canada, a very dear friend of mine, Dr. Robert Hare, who has researched this, uh, this personality for nearly 50 years. And the scientific results are amazing because what they've determined is that this kind of personality, it's not a mental illness. It is a personality that has certain specific traits and one of those traits uh, for example is lack of empathy for other people Uh, these are individuals that are big risk takers but they're very glib and charming so these 20 traits that exist in this personality construct we think are um, exist in especially serial sexual killers who go out and commit these kinds of crimes um, without the slightest bit of remorse when they come back home later that night and have hamburger and french fries with their families as though nothing happened. Oh, that's when you put it that way, you go, oh my goodness. Uh, so what questions do you still have about this? What information are you still looking for? Well, my biggest question is what is the full extent of this individual's lethality? And we do know that when people engage in this kind of behavior, it does not start at 59 years of age. So even going back 10 or 15 years, he would have been um, in his mid uh, 40s or early 40s. This is the kind of behavior you, you begin to see late teens or early 20s, where they start to actually act out um, with, homic- with homicidal behavior. So we don't know the full extent. We don't know his what we call practice murders. This is so interesting. I learned this in the FBI because we work serial murder cases on a daily basis. So we saw this on a, a regularly, that these individuals don't wake up and just decide, I like this kind of victim. I like this kind of weapon. I know these are the words I could say to somebody so that they won't be afraid of me. They have to practice that. And those practice murders can take years to develop. And those are the murders investigators are looking for because they can include um, 
people that um, are of different age. The, this offender could have crossed over gender lines. So it really is important to have an open mind when you go back to look for the full extent of their lethality is how we word it. Fascinating stuff. Thank you for your time on that today. You are most welcome. That's Dr. Mary Ellen O'Toole, a former FBI behavioral profiler and directing professor of the forensic science program at George Mason University.